This is Len with Give Me the Bible. Today's topic is The Beast. Here we are again, my radio friends. It's good to be with you today. I hope all has gone well with you this past week. If not, please remember that despite all the problems you might have experienced, God still loves you. He loves you despite all that you have done and despite all what you may think of yourself. He loves you although he hates sin. Just remember, he loves you to the extent that Jesus gave his life for you. Now, that's a pretty good measure of love, that Jesus, who is part of the Godhead, part of the Trinity we call God, gave his life for you. In fact, if you were the only person on planet Earth, Jesus would still have been prepared to give his life in order to save you. That is really love. And he would have done it for you, for me, or for anyone else. Today's topic is The Beast. In program number 28, just a few weeks ago, I shared with you about the mark of the beast. This week, we will examine this strange beast figure further. In chapter 2 of the book of Daniel is recorded the vision and prophecy about world superpowers commencing from about 626 BC. The superpowers were Babylon, that went from 626 to 539 BC, Medo-Persia from 538 to 330 BC, Greece, 330 to 63 BC, and then Rome, 63 BC into AD times. The Kingdom of Rome, interestingly, broke up and became not just a political power, but a religio-political power and eventually a religious power. Politically, Rome disintegrated. The prophecy also includes our own times in the world, times when there would be no superpower. Instead, there would be alliances of many nations, but with none outstanding. The prophecy in Daniel 2 tells about a large statue which looked like a man with a head of gold, that was Babylon, with a chest and arms of silver, that was Medo-Persia, with a belly and thighs of bronze, that was Greece, with legs of iron, that was Rome, and feet of iron mixed with clay. The accuracy of Daniel's vision has been confirmed by history. But did you know that God gave Daniel a second vision on the same subject where extra detail was provided? We can read this in our Bibles in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel describes what he saw. Starting at verse 3, we read, Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. 
Just a couple of things before we go further. C represents an area of high population, where there are many people. A beast represents a power, usually political. Sometimes the Bible refers to a power as a king or a kingdom or even an empire. The kingdoms represented by the beasts in Daniel 2 are consecutive, that is, one following the other. Reading on, we come to verse 4. The first beast was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off. This describes Babylon. Interestingly, the symbols of Babylon were a lion and an eagle. Australia's symbols are the kangaroo and the emu. Babylon was overthrown by the next superpower. And back to our Bibles in verse 5 it says, And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. This lopsided bear represents Medo-Persia. It was lopsided, as the Persians were the dominant group in the alliance. The three ribs in its mouth represent the conquered kingdoms of Babylon, Lydia and Egypt. You can probably guess what the animal symbol of Medo-Persia was. Now reading on, verse 6. After that I looked, says Daniel, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. This kingdom was Greece, which was the dominant world power from 330 BC to 63 BC. Greece came to power very quickly under the command of Alexander the Great. The battles with other nations were swift. Is it any wonder that the prophet Daniel was shown Greece as a leopard with wings? Alexander died at a young age, in his early thirties, and the kingdom was then ruled by four of Alexander's generals. Their names were Cassander, Lysicamus, Ptolemy and Seleucus. Now isn't that rather amazing that the one kingdom was ruled by four? How could Daniel know such things such as that this powerful kingdom would eventually be ruled by four generals as represented by the four heads on the one leopard? Daniel was not making any of the vision up. It had been given to him by God and God knows the future. Now comes the next beast. After that, in verse 7, Daniel says, After that, in my vision in the night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. 
It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. This beast represents the kingdom, the superpower of Rome. There is no doubt, as you learn from history, of the military successes of Rome. The dominion of this empire covered an area from northern Africa right through Europe, including England. The military might of the Romans was, it seemed, unstoppable. Some years ago, when my wife and I were in England, we walked on some roads that were laid down by the Romans. We also visited a Roman wall, where I found a small shard of rock which had broken off and which I brought home. As a child in school, I'd learned about the Romans, and this piece of rock had a special meaning for me. Apart from its fierce strength and unrelenting power, the prophet Daniel mentioned something else which was especially strange about this beast. It had ten horns. What could the ten horns be? As said earlier, the Romans were a terrible force to be reckoned with, and the Roman armies swept up the people groups that comprised what we now call Europe. The prophecy noticed that the fourth beast, so menacing and so ter terrible, had those ten horns. History tells us that when the Roman Empire began to collapse, there were ten cultural groups across Europe that occupied the territory that had been previously taken by Rome. They were the Ostrogoths, Visigoths, Franks, Vandals, Suvi, Alemanni, Anglo-Saxons, Heruli, Lombards and Burgundians. Did you count the numbers? I'll repeat them. Ostrogoths, Visigoths, Franks, Vandals, Suvi, Alemanni, Anglo-Saxons, Heruli, Lombards and Burgundians. Amazing. It came to ten, just as the prophecy said that the terrible beast would have ten horns. But the prophecy continues. In verse 8, Daniel says, While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the four first horns were uprooted before it. This horns had eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. When you think about how the other superpowers ended, they were overthrown by another power. But this one is different. This power changes from the inside and it doesn't completely disappear. It continues, but in a different form. And this little horn is the key to what happens. In verse 21, Daniel gives more details about this little, but later grew big, power. He writes, As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them. Daniel was really troubled by the vision and just couldn't get it out of his mind. 
He was especially troubled by the fourth beast, and particularly about the little horn which had eyes like a man's eyes, and a mouth that spoke boastfully, and which grew in power, and attacked God's people, the saints. God gave Daniel the answer to his questions. We read in verses 23 to 25 what Daniel recorded. And at this point, we'll take a little break, and I'm going to play you a song from the English chorale. It's called, O Happy Day. Oh, happy. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Just before the break, I was saying to you that Daniel was very troubled about this vision that he had. But he wasn't left to work it all out himself because the answer was given to Daniel and this is what it was. He, in this case it's the angel from God, gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is the fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress the saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times and half a time. So this power started off small and became big. It came from within what we would call the Roman Empire. It was different from all the other kingdoms. It would be very oppressive. This power would be in opposition to God and would speak against him. This power would attempt to change the set times and laws. And the saints, that is, God's people, would be the target of its iniquities. And finally, a time period of a time, times, and half a time would be when it was at the height of its power and would persecute God's people. Well, how different was it? This became a religious power as well as a political one. Although it was a religious power, it was in opposition to God. This power would try to change certain times and laws which had been instituted by God long ago. Well, the three powers represented by the three horns that were uprooted by the emergence of this new little horn power were the Heruli, the Vandals and the Ostrogoths. They would not accept the dictates of this new religious power and so were overthrown. All the parts of the prophecy had to be right and so far were right. We, therefore, must ask, who was this power? It may be a surprise to learn that the Reformers and many others since have identified it as the Roman Catholic Church. You see, it came out of the fourth beast power, the Roman Empire. It was different as it was not only a political power, but was a religious power. It eliminated three other powers when it emerged, and it spoke boastfully. Some of the other things I'll talk about later. But just before that, history tells us that in 538 AD, 
the Roman Emperor Justinian decreed that the Bishop of Rome be given political power, civil power, and ecclesiastical power over all his Roman territory. That year, 538 AD, Pope Vigilius ascended the throne. So, at this time, 538 AD, a Pope became the head of state. What about the boastful words the prophecy mentions? Let me share with you some quotes from the Prompta Bibliotheca, a Roman Catholic encyclopedia written in the 18th century. The quotes are from pages 24 to 29. We're considering boastful words. First quote. The Pope is of so great authority and power that he can modify, explain, or interpret even divine laws. Second quote. The Pope can modify divine law since his power is not of man but of God, and he acts as vice-regent of God upon earth with most ample power of binding and loosing his sheep. Quote three. The Pope is of so great dignity and so exalted that he is not a mere man, but as it were, God and the vicar of God. Quote four. Whatever the Lord God himself and the Redeemer is said to do, that his vicar, that is the Pope, does. Now these are not my words. These are taken from Roman Catholic literature. Did God give any special commission or position for the Pope to be the head of the church on earth? No. God had nothing to do with it. It was self-proclaimed. Big words. Blasphemous words. Man proclaiming himself to be God. Boastful words. How right the prophecy is. How dangerous it is when someone has both religious and political power. Just think of some of the radical Muslim groups that exist today, some of them being the governing bodies of certain countries. Political power is used to enforce religious beliefs, and people are being killed or persecuted simply because they do not agree with the dominant religion. When church and state are together to control the people, there will always be persecution or even death for the dissidents. Now the prophecy also said, He will speak against the Most High and oppress the saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. So, has this little horn power, which was identified as the Roman Catholic Church, 
spoken against the Most High that is God. Oh yes, God is the only one to forgive sins. Jesus gave his life so that sins could be forgiven. But the Roman Catholic Church claims the right to forgive sins. Ever heard about the confessional box where a priest hears someone's confession and then pronounces them forgiven if they do something holy? I have. Ever heard the claim that the Pope has been given the right to act as God on earth? I have. Ever heard that no person can be saved unless it is through the Roman Catholic Church? I have. Ever heard that the Roman Catholic Church has canonized someone after they have died and called them a saint, and by the virtue of that fact, you can pray to them? I have. In fact, the Roman Catholic Church virtually claims that the Pope is in the place of God on earth. So who needs God? In my opinion, these claims are speaking against the Most High. Well now, what about this other thing, about the attempts to change the times and the laws? What times? And what laws? In a previous program, I pointed out to you that the Roman Catholic Church proudly claims to have changed God's holy day, the seventh day Sabbath, from Saturday to Sunday. They have also altered God's holy law, the Ten Commandments, completely removing one commandment and splitting the last one into two to make the number back up to ten. This is common knowledge. I'm not telling you anything new. And then we have the prophetic statement about the oppression of the saints. During the Dark Ages, or the Middle Ages, as it's probably better known, the Word of God, the Bible, was hidden from the common people. They were supposed to learn everything spiritual from the church, from the priests, and everything had to be interpreted by the church. The people were kept in ignorance, and that is probably why historians call this time the Dark Ages. When the Reformation came and people such as Luther, Zwingli, Huss, Calvin, Knox and others who taught people from the Word of God, the Roman Catholic Church instituted the Inquisition to quell the, the rapid growth of Protestantism. By that means, millions of people were persecuted and martyred because they chose to believe differently to what the Roman Catholic Church taught. It's estimated that up to 150 million people were martyred for their faith during that period. And don't forget, these people were all killed because of their beliefs not because they had committed any crime. If you want to know more about the atrocities, get hold of the book Fox's Book of Martyrs.
it is sure to shock you. The Roman Catholic Church is responsible for more deaths during that time than from all the wars fought in the last two centuries. Today I want to bypass the part of the prophecy that speaks about the time period of the Little Horn's activities for now, as it forms the basis for another study. But I want us to consider the last few verses in Daniel 7, starting at verse 26. Then the court will sit, and his, that's the little horn's power, will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. Here is the final statement. God will have the last say. He will reward his people who have been faithful to him. He will completely and utterly remove the power of the little horn. It will be defunct, and those who have been swept along by its deceptions will also be destroyed as well. Many people have had to and have to make the choice to serve and obey God or serve and obey a man-made power. Some of those choices cost them their lives. And that raises the question, whom will you obey? The Apostle Peter answers the question for us. He says, we must obey God rather than man. And that is reiterated by Joshua, the second leader of the Israelite people, who proclaimed, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. My choice is to honour God in all my decisions and in the way I conduct my life. God has the last say, and I want to be on his side. I would love you to join me in making your own decision to serve and honour God no matter what. Well, friends, that's it for today. I hope you'll join me again next week where we will look at the development of what is known as the futurist view of what I have shared with you today. Be listening, won't you?